in our neighborhood in Detroit wanted to play music. That's all we did. Instead of fighting with guns and beating up people, we fought with instruments. Okay, our friends would be across the street on their porch playing. Our, me and Ray would be on our porch playing and we'll be trying to do and see who's going to get the biggest crowd in front of us. That's how we did music in Detroit. So I'm so proud of being out of Detroit because it was just music. And real quick, I want to stick this in your thing. That's how the Motown got started, too, because I was there under this. I went to the uh, Motown Review. I went to the 20 grand when we did the uh, Christmas party uh, round in December. Uh, they had these parking recreations, which I, I don't know if it's causes in L.A., but they literally would have these trucks that would pull up on the street instead of doing like you hear some of the comedians Talk about where they put the fire hose on you and let the water run out and the kids run the street in the hood, you know, in our neighborhood. No one had no pool, so that was the only water we going to see. But in terms of entertainment, they would pull up the park and recreation truck in the middle of the street, put out this, they were like a camper, if you could picture that camper. When they let it out, it was a little stage. It was extremely tight. Now, I think about it, I don't know how we did it. But then it was entertainment that the city paid for, and the kids could see us play. I did that for the longest before the big time, mm. and that was my music. I did uh, bar mitzvahs, okay, because they would play really good with my teachers. My teacher recognized my talent, so on the weekend, I was making cash money like an adult, giving, putting it away. I'm living with my parents. I'm just a teenager. I would do gigs where I wasn't allowed to even come off the stage because they would sell alcohol. So when I would do clubs, uh, whoever would hire me, they would make deals with them that it's alcohol because I wasn't allowed to be you know, on the floor. As long as I stayed on stage and people brought drinks to me other than going to the bathroom, they would allow me to play because I was so blessed to play so good. Well, I worked with adults a lot before me and Ray kind of put our band together and we had our band. But a lot of my plan was with our, our school teacher that goes to Ray too. So we he had the circuit for soul music for doing um, uh, the Bar Mitzvah, uh, a Jewish event. And we were the fun dance music after everyone had their dreams and ate. We were the soul band. Hmm. And a guy walked up, he liked the band so well, it was like, I'm going to say five. We had a singer, um, my, my teacher played the trumpet, keyboards, guitar, and bass. Yeah, 
And this guy was at the Bar Mitzvah because they had another band to play, um, pop, pop, um, that, you know, all the kind of traditional stuff. We were playing James Brown and everything else. We were the soul group. He had that locked up, made good money for me. He walked up, one of the guys uh, at the Bar Mitzvah said, you know what? You guys play so good. And he was just smiling. He reached in his pocket and put out a lot of money. And he gave everybody on that stage $100. He was that excited about our plan. I'll never forget that. Talking about some of the things I remember. Those kind of events was like, were mind blowing for a black kid living in Detroit, even working in some of these. I remember the name of it was called B'nai David in Detroit. Beautiful synagogue. I mean, the, the the food that they would serve at those barmers, they would spend, they still spend big money. But I was a part of that. I was exposed to that. And the list goes on on opportunity and what music brought to me. And I feel so grateful uh, that I was able to do it. And I've always tried to share, I've always tried to speak to people like you that uh, do innovate not to boast, but to let them know, be in prayer, stay focused, and believe that you can do it. I wanted to get out of that neighborhood. I was sick of listening at the gunshots on Friday when people got their check and they got that uh, juice in their uh, body. Because that's how it is. They didn't have money, they go get drunk, they're fighting on the porch, then uh, after the weekend is over, they back hugging. You know, it was tough. It was tough. What, what, Ali, was there a, a, a particular turning point where it told you, hey, I can make a living and do this music as my life? When we were uh, in Detroit doing music all the time, we would look out for each other. Like, like I mean, you're doing that. Like, if he heard about something, he would tell him about me, and then vice versa, going back. To the point where Ray's mom used to always say, that's her, she's passed too, she used to say, boy, I feel sorry for the drummer in that band that Ray's gonna play with, because Ollie, Ray's gonna have Ollie playing on drums and, and no day short. Because <laughs> he would tell the person, then I'll steal it, because once they heard me, I told you, I'm getting that gig. <laughs> I'm gonna get that gig. You better be slamming it. I wasn't scared of nobody, man. Nobody. Yeah. It was like the heavyweight fight. You know, yeah. it's like, bring it, bring it. There's a new kid in town. I had that attitude. That's why we started so young, because I was always going against people who was already out there that had did the stuff. Same with Motown. I mean, because Barry wasn't cultures, but I get it being a producer. He knew who he wanted on his records. He knew. And so it was a guy named Pistol uh, did all the stuff for Motown. They got a few things. And uh, the guy that I told you about, Jack Astor, Eddie Bongo, uh, James Jameson on the bass. That, the, the Funk Brothers period is the word you can use. And no matter how good I could play, uh, uh, Barry wasn't changing that chemistry. Was there something you know, professionally where you got a break where you're like, hey, I think I'm going to be able to have this as my career. No. Well, like I was saying, I was just doing park and recreation, but the things that I were doing 
other people didn't have a chance to do that. So the good people, like a Stevie coming around, yes, that was confirmation because when I went on the tryouts, I've always won. You know, I can't even remember, you know, people audition and interview all the time. So you start thinking in a sense about it, but I want, I want to be real with this interview. It, it's not like that. You, you get it later. It's almost like, you know, you know how you take a, a pill, they say to have an aftertaste? And that's a good thing because your head don't get blown up. When it's real, you just uh, uh, be enjoying the moment. And all of a sudden, you realize this is a big group. I watched Stevie at the Motown Review, and now I'm on stage playing uptight. You know, when he did that melody with all them old songs, Signs Still Delivered, I was in heaven. I didn't have to learn it. I already knew it. <laughs> That's why the show went pretty good, because he had that little medley of them old school songs, along with his talking book album on new stuff. You know, so as they go on, I don't know, just I, maybe you should say stay humble, but instead of using that word, I like to use, um, I never forget um, Frankie Crocker at WBLS said this to me when I was having my success. He was saying, the superstars don't call up asking where the party is. He said, because when you're successful, you are the party. And people will call you and see what you're doing tonight after night. Because, you know, New Yorkers didn't get started until 3 o'clock. You would get a call saying, hey, man, let's go to a club. I wasn't used to that because I was from Detroit. But when you go to New York, it don't start until after 2. You know, where in other places the clubs are closing up. Man, New York, they'll call you up and say, hey, you want to go to this club? That's where it was 24-7. So... When I, when I was in New York a lot with Stevie, and like you're saying about uh, making it, when I, once I hit Stevie Wonder, who was like my idol and stuff in a sense, that would be the light bulbs, which I would have to say, because again, I was just 19 when I got with him. Yeah. That's when I knew. But a hint was uh, playing back up with the spinners who was making records doing um, uh, such a different culture, white or whatever you want to say, the Jewish stuff, doing something like that. You didn't play at those events and being a, 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 we were the only black band, period. You know, so uh, hints of that, the park recreation, uh, doing the single one-offs with uh, Bohannon, playing with celebrities that were from Motown, being in that clique, having my own band, uh, taking my band, because this really happened, I forgot to tell you. Uh, if you've ever been to Detroit, you need to go by the Museum Hitsville, USA. I tell anybody, go there. It was fun even me going there, because it brought back memories. They were very, very nice to me. They asked me to even sign stuff. I think I sent some stuff back. I know I sent some sticks to the airport. If you go to the airport in one of those stores that got a lot of Muslim stuff, I, I think I got a picture in there. But when you go back to your city, 
I didn't want to be the one where I have success and they say, you know, you're too good to come back where your roots were. I always went back until one day where it didn't seem safe. Uh, I went back. I never forget that was before I totally moved and I had gotten with Stevie. I went back and I had bought uh, a Cadillac El Dorado. You know, the one that they used to say looked like Superfly. I owned one of those. <laughs> I had the sunroof top. They'd say diamond in the back, sunroof top. Digging the lean with a gangster lean. You know, that was <laughs> I had that car, which I bought. And I never forget going on the street where I had friends. When I pulled up in that car like that, and all my buddies, I thought, was at the corner. And then one person where I went up on their porch and got out the car was some girls that I knew. They were over there, and they were all talking to me, glad to see me. And then I looked down the street, and then one guy raised his hand and say hi or anything. And I was like, oh, boy, I need to get out of here as soon as I can. I don't know if they were jealous of the car or that I was talking to the girls and stuff, but I felt uneasy at one time, and that's when I stopped going over there because I didn't feel comfortable because there were a couple of guys that I did hang up that you would have thought would have came down because they were making such a stink about me and my car was out of this to come down and at least say hi. So they were, it was not so much the stare down, but that was the time where it was like, uh, now I see why sometimes you can't do what your heart might want you to do. I did, and I'll bring this up. Um, because I saw an article on it. It's a barbershop. I can't think of the name, but it's Whitlow's Barbershop. Everyone knows about it. I saw someone that wrote an article on the Whitlow. I did go by there. That was the guy that used to do my hair before I started wearing my hair back, long, and braids. Uh, Whitlow's Barbershop in Detroit, if you have in Detroit. But I have nothing but good things to say about my career. and. I appreciate you interviewing so I can tell people to stay focused because I didn't, I didn't come with no silver spoon in my mouth. I had zero connections in the business other than me just playing my music and going for my heart and being a, a person that was always going to church. My, my mom brought me up like that, you know, and I ended up doing stuff for that and just trying to be a good person. and. Uh, loving my instrument. Like I tell my basketball team when I have a kid that's really talented, I call him my gym rat. That means, you know, you don't want to do nothing but be in the gym. And for me and Ray, it was nothing but music. Nothing. I do mean nothing. Kids would be on the playground playing basketball, playing football. Me and Ray would be in the basement, because they had basements back there, doing our music. He had a little tape recorder recording it. And that's how we would get stuff on there. We had one of those little film things. I wish I had some of that footage. But if you if the camera stopped, it would burn through the film. That's back in the day when they had film. Eight so, millimeter, right? Yeah. yeah. So we don't have any of that. I would love to, but me and uh, Ray, we messed that up, not knowing we were burning up history. Mm. <laughs> in my career, I'm thankful for all of uh, uh, 
people like Larry uh, Blackman that I got to be. I mean, it, it goes on for me in terms of uh, uh, drummers. And I can just, like I said, anything you tell me, I can almost tell you a story. It wasn't, it wasn't like, let's call up this drummer. I'm not saying I didn't do a lot of that, but because I went up so I can be available, uh, some of that dropped off. However, a lot of my life, there's almost a story, even uh, how I met Joe Cocker. I did that record. I remember the one, uh, uh, I Can't Stand the Rain. He did, uh, um, I think that's, I Can't Stand the Rain. Something rain. But I did that uh, with Billy and Joe Carter. So, you know, I produced, I did the, the Barges album and played drums on it and then produced uh, on that song, All This Love Is Waiting For You. That one? Yeah. That's me on that. Yeah, okay. I, I hear that all the time, and that was before Al DeBarge did solo. He was playing keyboards with a lot of energy. Again, that magic in the studio. And I would look at this guy while we were working on the record, and Al, Al would be playing, and I'd go, no, 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 stop, stop. That's a whole nother song, you know, because he just has so much energy. Mm. I mean, you guys have no idea how talented that boy really is. It's too bad. I've been trying to find him and reach out to him because um, that that was a real talented kid, and that's why he popped out. Too bad some other crazy stuff happened, but extremely. And same with Tina Marie. Oh, okay, I love she was, yeah, because that was when I was hot on producing Motown stuff, and uh, that's how I met Barry. Barry wouldn't go in the studio once he had heard all that stuff that Jeffrey was producing and me playing drums. And whenever Barry Gordy would come in with you, they would lock down the studio. You think the president is coming in. Like they lock it up, man, security. And he only wanted me. I was told, and well, he told me, he teased me right today. He wanted, I had this old symbol that was broken. I use you hear it in a glass house on the temptation. Yeah. And that funny symbol that you hear was a broken Chinese symbol that I used to always use. So I had a few things that was my signature that I was branding myself not knowing uh, when I would play. Those three tom toms y'all would hear those drum fields on, on that Heyman set and that uh, Chinese symbol that was cracked, so he came by because it was a broken symbol that I never fixed that everyone wanted on their record. You're, you're so, playing on Shaky Ground on that record too? Yeah, yeah. That's one of my all time. That, that's Nothing but funky, Billy. That's as funky as it gets, that, that record. Yeah. So it's, it's a long, happy journey. You always remember and you appreciate people admiring what you do but at the same time it's so much fun when like you can bring something up to me that's what i like well a, co a couple ones that we didn't mention just because we're talking about it and you don't have to go into detail but i just want yeah. you to know that i had highlighted them because they meant something to me was um uh leon haywood uh and uh chance you, you can't say that don't say that too loud because that's that's my um, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna text you, man. Uh, an album I want you to look up. I just want to make sure I get the right title that Leon did before that, because his uh, my wife used to work for uh, uh, MCA Publishing with Carol Ware, who was the wife of Leon. He had an album called I think it's Rainbow, but I'm gonna text it to you so you can get it uh, on iTunes, man. That album gonna blow you away. But make sure you have your girlfriend with you too. Cause you know how Leon was, he did that I want you stuff, you know, with Marvin Gaye. So it's a it's a good love, but it's some great songs. You're gonna love it. Gonna Send love it over. It. And then do you remember doing Chan Sun? Uh no, but yes, I remember the name. <laughs> that was uh I mean according to this, it was uh, a couple of the guys that uh played with the temps, uh James Jamerson Jr. and Okay. Yeah. Because they they had that um, like dance disco hit. Um, I just thought, hey, hey Scott. Yeah. I just thought of a game show me and you can come up with called "Stump the Artist." <laughs> don't don't hold back. That was the track that they hit with. Yeah. Don't hold back. Okay. Yeah. Do you remember um, Links? L-I-N-L-I-N-X, yeah, links. On Chrysalis Records, fill that up. What, what track, it was her track that? Uh... I, did, I did most of that. That was when I started getting into, quote unquote, pop music when I did uh, uh, Rapture with Blondie, The Tide Is High. That remix, all that percussion, that's me. Oh. That's hot. Yeah. Oh, it was hey yeah. man. I like I said, we we'll do that on part two. <laughs> oh, you yeah. catch it in my book. Oh man. That was that was so fun because she was a blast. It I don't know. I like my life uh starting off in the back first because it gave me a chance to work with all these people and have all these stories. Cause they would say stuff to me and I'm like, oh, just like when I did, um, I don't know if you're going to be able to find it, you can try I did uh, Had Boom R&B Hits. Did you ever find that? See if you can Google it. I don't think you can. Uh, but I did James Brown. He did Papa's Got a Brand New Bag. Uh, Sister Slaz did We Are Family. Um, uh, KC and the Sunshine Band did Get Down Tonight. Uh, KC, uh, I'm a soul man. Uh, Sam and Dave. Yeah, it was just um, Sam, because Dave was the I did Soul Man. Uh, oh, uh, Earth and Fire did um, That's the Way of the World for me. I put all the originals back. I flew to Augusta, Georgia with and met James Brown. I called him and he's doing an interview like this because I didn't have no connection with James Brown. And I, I was listening on my way home that he was going to do an interview. And he did the interview on the radio and he said he had to leave. And I knew the club where he was going and see for the, for the public when you say sound check, they don't 
get it like I would get it. I knew that he was going to be at the club after the radio station at the, uh, uh, I can say it now because it's not there no more. It was a popular club in Inglewood uh, that everybody would go. Because Frankie made Stevie play in this little club back when he was on WBL. God, I can't remember that club. But if it comes to me, I'll tell you. But anyway, I knew he was going to do a sound check. And I knew the radio station. So I gave him time to get there. So when I called, I had captured. Did I capture his name? Oh, oh, no, I didn't. I just knew he was going to be at the club because he said he was going, he had to get off the station and go do a sound check. So I called over there like I knew James was expecting me to call. And when I got to the club, because they picked up, because they normally wouldn't pick up because the club is not open until 9 o'clock at night or whatever. So I called there. As soon as someone picked up, I said, hey, this is uh, uh, Ollie Brown calling from uh, Dick Clark's office. I need to speak to uh, James Brown's manager. And so they just put me on hold. And then he got on. And then I just went after him. This was Told him that I was going to do Papa's Got a Brand New Bag. And I'm doing this project with um, uh, Pat Boone where I wanted him to make a cameo. And uh, Pat would love to have him there. Yada, 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 yada. Was this like, the late, was this like the late 80s or what time frame? Um, it's safe to say 90s late 80s because that's when i was like way up here in in producing and putting projects together after the studio stuff took off um one second this is let's see you can see this is how the album looked it was called uh pat boom r&b hits it was on his goal there i got kc sister sled oh Smokey uh, did uh, Tears of a Clown for me. So I had Smokey come in and he was, we played a trick on him. Uh, I had uh, Channel 7 News, which is the local station here. I told him I was going to be in the studio with uh, Pat Boone and um, uh, Smokey Robinson doing one of his songs. So Smokey knew they were coming, but Smokey didn't know about the trick that I put on him on Tears of a Clown. Only people knew were uh, Channel 7, but they thought they were just going to hear the song. But I did a trick thing to keep it fun and interesting with my um, engineer and me and the band. So what I did, everything was, the track was already done. I just did a version of it uh, mix-wise with this heavy uh, rock guitar on it. The tears of a count. I mean, it was like rock out because I had this great guitar player that could play some rock music. So we, we played at the beginning of the song. And so when Pat came in, you know, the cameras are rolling. And Pat was hearing the song for the first time since I asked him to do it. You know, because he approached them cats. They'll come in, all these people. They came in and knocked out their part. I went to each person. He sat down, and we put it on. We cranked it up loud, and the cameras was on Pat. And 
we played the first beginning then we stopped it and I said I looked over at Pat and I said so what do you think and Pat said mm, it's interesting <laughs> and then so he got that on TV and then we said Pat that's not it and so we played in the right track so the TV station got both reactions and it was fun but that was one of those like you say one of those moments when we did this album we pulled that trick on him on right on live TV on the news. Yeah. It was funny. <laughs> but I'm uh, again all these all my uh, I'm thankful to say all these people they are my friends, man. I speak to him. I spoke to Pat um, about a couple of weeks ago. You know, I try to keep up. I, I was just glancing at this long list of credits again, and I was reminded also, and I don't know if you remember this one. But you were involved in a project by a group called Tease, and I was on that one. I loved um, that that record. Did not get attention, but it was it was jamming. It was huge, not big. It should have been huge, man. It was called Freeze, right? Freeze was a hit. Uh, uh, Freeze, shake. Flash. 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 Yeah. There it is. Yeah, I have that record. Yeah, and these are all my guys, okay? This Janet Jackson drummer, uh, Janet Jackson, Cornelius, everybody under the sun, Rex, uh, boys to men, all of all of these guys went on to make it on their own. Uh, Kipper Jones, he had a solo album. All these people I had, man. Talking about politics, I had all these in one group. I mean, we should have been killing my competition because uh, uh, A&M was being very aggressive with uh, the time and Prince product. See, when you're big like him, you can saturate it where politically they have the power that you just don't have, and you get squashed. Either the other the label they get scared to compete with them. But they were doing this stuff right when uh, Jesse came out. Over at yeah, yeah. You know, but my group, we had that sound way before they got big. And when we were competing with it, instead of getting a fair shot at it, we got kind of pushed under, man. I couldn't get, I couldn't get it out there. And I'll play this record right now, and it sounds good. This stuff is on, just like yeah. you said. And um, I... I came up with that idea. I had an artist, a draw that, so that was, you know, the beginning of me beginning to learn. I made, the, I was with a major label. I thought would go crazy on it, but they were so worried about it being too close uh, to the time and whatever. I was like, no, you go out there and you just well, we all go through changes of music. We can't be afraid of disco because Donna Summer's got four on the floor. Now you don't want to make a record with four on the floor and just go ahead and make another good dance record. This would, I, I mean, this the the musicianship and this group I would put against any of those uh, band groups that made it with this when that era was out there. I'm a huge, uh, they made I'm it a little, huge fan. I, you know, being a DJ then, I was pretty good at hearing stuff and being able to pick a hit. And that, mm -hmm. to me, had all the makings of a hit, and I couldn't figure out why it did not get over. Political, man. That's one That's one that, you know, I did that. You say, 
if you want to name some of the ones I've said to you, that would, would be first on the list because I had me a smash. I should have been just as big as those guys because all of those guys are playing with the ones that did make it. Like I said, uh, Derek and um, um, uh, Tommy um, and Rex. Rex was Janet Jackson's musical director. So that stuff was in between. It was some stuff going on. I don't want to say, because I don't have nothing to back it, so I don't talk about it. But I'm saying, man, I took a hit on that one. Well, look, you know what? Um, I'm including this part in your show. And so people that are not familiar with that record, go find it. Because if you like funk, you're going to dig it. Yeah. And, and, and uh, um, a couple, Derek and... Corny, they played at Bianca's uh, wedding. My daughter uh, uh, married Sinbad's son. So I see Sinbad all the time. We're good friends and family now, you know, because now that my daughter have, when you go on her website, uh, go to wedding, you'll see everybody. Uh, Cheryl Lynn, she sung at the wedding. I got her. I put a band together, all of us. Uh, Derek, Oregon. Uh, Tommy Cornelius, Ray Ray Parker, Kevin Tony from the Blackbirds. He was on keyboard. Um, yeah, he's been on the show. Keyboard. Yeah, all of us. Uh, we we still working with each other, doing stuff, and on our separate ways. Oh, Paul, he played. And did, you did, can they ever, did, did, did they ever perform in support of that record, or not even? Uh, not like you're supposed to, if I could say that, because we didn't have the tour money to go out, and record companies were so tight and certain things, and they used the wrong reasons not to continue to power and try to make it happen. You know, it's, it, it didn't, it got lost, because that's how I discovered them. Um, they were doing some of that park stuff, uh, and I saw this group and I was like, oh my God. I was like, whoa, you're talking about uh, a show? I signed that group to RCA as well as uh, they performed for Warner Brothers. I had three late Warner Brothers, Clive Davis saw them, and RCA. Because by then, you know, RCA, I had a deal. I had no demo tape. That's how good they were live. Hmm. Would blow you away. <laughs> Telling you. People would say, I call it one brother. Of course, I had my name out there, so they knew who I was. And so when I would call to an A&R guy, Scott, he'd go, well, uh, you can send in the tape, and, uh, you know, we'll try to get to it, but... Right now, we kind of backed up. I said, uh, what, what is your name? And then he would tell his name. I said, I just want to let you know that I don't have a tape. And I've had a couple of meetings, and everyone is setting up a showcase to see my group because it's not just what I'm going to have them, you hear on tape. You have the real deal. It ain't a hype from the producer knowing tricks in the studio. I want to show them, because that's where the strengths are, to drive them to have people come out and buy their record. It, so what do you want to do? Guess what happened? He said, hold on the line. So he must have went and spoke to someone, 
and he sent me a PO, and they paid for my sound check, my sound, uh, my um, my uh, showcase. That's how, like I said, not being arrogant, again, knowing what you got and knowing how to just be, um, believe in yourself and not shortchanging your stuff. And I said no. And he, he went and sent me a check. And I never, I don't know if you ever heard of it, but it was a, um, a rehearsal place called SIR, Studio Instrument Rentals. They had rehearsal, they rented out um, uh, musical instruments for musicians that didn't have stuff or wanted extra things, and they started having sound stages uh, to have rehearsals. And that's where, and I, everyone that heard T's, not only paid for it, but they had to come out and see it. And I stood with that, and I did. Clive came out and heard it. Clive was such a ballad kind of guy when he signed. He said, because he goes, Ali, I like, I, I like your groove, but I just like that ballad. I was like, I, I was laughing inside. Because see, one thing about Clive Davis, he's good at what he's doing. He's saying his lane. Think about it. You can't think probably, I'll say you probably can't think of one group that was a band that Clive Davis signed on the Rister Records. I bet you can't come up with one. Think about it. There's always been singers, male or female, maybe yeah. a singing group. No yeah. bands. Yeah. How you like that? And when it was a band, he, he pretty much tried to pull the singer away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... I'm glad you know about it, man. So you know what, uh, Ali? I feel like uh, that whole thing with T's that went down was sort of like you know the pushing away of like black bands that happened in the '80s. You know, yeah, which was a no, shame. No, no, no. You're right. No, you're right. Uh, hmm. I I began to like I said, I began to feel it because there wasn't uh, even a lot of avenues except for some of the local stuff where they weren't paying no money. I mean, once you get a record deal. You're hoping to go out. And when I saw that happen to me, it started making me think about uh, what I saw happen to the Commodores that really just needed the chance. Yeah, they were green in terms of going to the studio when I went in there with them because that's what Motown was about. Barry Gordon was about finding talent and also knowing how to develop it on down to the Marvin Gaye. Uh, I want you album, like you said. See, you know, because you're a music person, that Leon wrote that album. A lot of people don't know that he wrote the whole album. I can I can play for because, like I said, Carol is his wife. That's my wife's favorite. Oh, I got to remember. I'm going to send you the name. I'm going to take a screenshot and send you the album, man. You wait till you pull up Leon's album. It's, it's, it's the one he got released after he uh, passed. So Carol put it out. I think, I want to say Rainbow. You're going to like this one. You got uh, Sarita Wright. Stevie's uh, uh, pull up that one. She got on this gold of May. Check out that stuff I did on that album, man. You want another good album that got a sleeper? Check that out. Yeah. Sarita. Yeah, I feel like she's kind of a bit unsung. Yep. Yeah, I never forget when she I, she passed and what year was that when she passed, man? I was 
I, I had just did that duet with Billy Preston and Sarita, um, I'm Born Again. That duet that they did, like that Diana Ross song, where Billy and Sarita did it also hmm. on their duet. Yeah. Very cool. Hey, right, man. good talking. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome, bro. So I, I got to ask you, after all this, Pistons or Lakers? <laughs> Let me tell you, that's another story. And I don't try to make it clear. For the Lakers and the Pistons, you know, like for me, I got to be uh, really uh, tight. Um, uh, with uh, the Lakers and Magic. Give me a second. Just pause for a second. I gotta show you something. Now, quick story on that. I try to make this quick. Um, that's how I got uh, the basketball uh, bug bit too, uh, because of my son. Like I said, losing there, and I started coaching and everything. So it's just basketball all the time. It's still heavy basketball until this virus start and it took out my school, took out my parking recreations, which might not never come back. Anyway, so Magic was the boyfriend to my sister's best uh, friend. Her name was Cherie. She lived in Detroit before this is before he met Cookie. He was going to Michigan State, so he was dating my sister's best friend. So we got to be super friends after I moved out here. I didn't know him in um, Detroit. So Isaiah was always connected with um, uh, Magic. But the difference was I was in here with Magic in LA and my parents still was in Detroit. My mom passed, but my stepdad is there. Uh, in Detroit. So what happened was during during, during the success of um, the Lakers when they went back to back, Magic allowed me to have my championship ring. Let's see if it right there. Oh wow! Look at that. This is when they went back to back, and it got my name on it. it says Brown. Oh, that's okay. something. Only thing I did wrong, I should have put magic on it. Then it would have been worth more money. <laughs> That's a beauty. But yeah, I keep this. I'm giving it to my son. It's really his. Now I'm gonna let him have it. But I used to wear it all the time. But getting back to the uh, Isaiah thing, so when they would come play here, I would see obviously because I was real tight with Jay Bus. I got all kind of stuff with him because I would bring my groups to do the national anthem. Like when I started my production company, I went at Jerry would allow me to have my groups sing um, at the Laker games. You know, we would catch them all the time. So I would go back and hang out with Magic and, and sit in Jerry buses, the owner of the Lakers uh, box, and we got to be good friends. And so when they went to Detroit, I figured I was such a basketball nut, and you know. I was single and I had the money to do what the heck I want. No kids, so I flew back when the Lakers played it just to go to the game. And I bought this jacket. I bought, got this 
This this is this jacket I have. It has all the players. Let's see. Oh, here's the Lakers. It has all the players on there. You know, this is a Jeff Hamilton jacket that he would make for celebrity. He still made it. Um, and so that was my basketball jacket. So when the Lakers start breaking up a little bit and AC, uh, uh, no, uh, yeah, was it AC? I think AC and um, what's the guard? Yeah, I think he went to Seattle. Fisher? But yeah, when Fisher went to another team, I went, all these guys are my buddies. Isaiah too. So when I went to Detroit, I had this jacket. And so that way, Isaiah can't get mad at me. Magic can't get mad because I got all you guys. Because I have just a nice Laker leather uh, jacket. However, when I'm around, my, around those guys, because they both are my friends, I you, put on this one. <laughs> you play both sides. It got, the, it got the Bulls. It got everybody, man. Where are the Pistons? Oh, they're in the Pistons. Yeah. Okay, and I had the Lakers on the front there. So that's one of my fun jackets. So that's how I dealt with that. That's why I wanted to <laughs> let you see it. I had to be politically correct because, again, it's like you can't even buy these rec uh, these rings, championship rings like that. And uh, that was because of my relationship and partying with Magic all the time. We had some. Boy, we had some good times, you know. That's, yeah, that's awesome. You know, that's my boy, too. Growing up there, I mean, the Lakers were my only favorite local team. You know, for every other oh, sport, okay. I kind of went. Like, I don't know if you can see back there, but I have Dallas Cowboys stuff. So, okay. you know, I didn't go for the Rams, but the Lakers were my team. And I've always worn this for this show. It's like my, uh, you know. Um, yeah theme or uh trademark yeah. on this on this show is always representing the lakers and so good oh, that they're okay. finally back again to the finals where they belong yeah i almost you know it's it's funny because i won't show it to you because we run the tape but i almost wore my um my uh my lakers jersey i got a a kobe uh jersey i almost wore it on the show that would have been good with me and you had it on but i decided to where Hollywood estates instead and promote my own business. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're a real... How did you come up with that name? I said, well, it sounded like Hollywood, so I came up with the name Hollywood. No, I like so, it. Yeah, that that's works. My yeah, that that's works. my business. And same with the music. You know, it's Ollie Brown Sugar Music, so if you know my name, you can get my public come. And I try to make that connect. I learned that from uh, marketing, like you said. Having a brand where people know you. Yeah. You know. I didn't get a chance to throw it in, but since we on the end of it anyway, when I went over to Dick Clark, I was um, running his record label called Click Records for Dick, because uh, Dick Clark Productions did all kind of you know TV shows and everything. He is the best when it comes to production company. Everybody else is doing what he was doing the right way. Everyone else is faking it. I learned so much from that boy how to have a production company, how to spend the people who's, I, I, I'm gonna share with you because Dick would say, 
I don't spend my money to give them something to have success on. If they believe in me, they give me the money to do it, and if they pick it up and I like it, I, I'll work in the rights to take it to you or someone else. And I learned, because I would see stations, and he would have runners to pitch his stuff, like maybe your program. And the companies would pay him to do it, to do the polymer or the scissor wheel, whatever you want to call it. And then, then he'll sell it back to them. <laughs> I went, that's a production company, because when I was on my own, I was spending the money, and I run into the egos with these kids trying to have a manager. And I said, that's not a manager. That's a financier. Okay, just because a guy is giving you the money to go in the studio, don't mean make him a manager. You know, what did he know about music? Can he pick up the phone and call Clive like I could and say, hey, I need you to hear this act. Can I meet with you? And then if Clive was busy, he'd say, meet with my A&R person. Yeah. But at least it came from Clive Davis, you yeah. know? That's like so executive, executive producer versus a director, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So um, that that's that's how it all got started in a nutshell in terms of me being an entrepreneur in the industry period. That's, huh. that's how Well, that And you've happened. run with it, man, so credit to you. Thank you. Yeah, man. Yes, thank God. <laughs> I enjoyed your interview. I liked your question. There wasn't any... Uh, what they call political agenda, because I, I learned the hard way, and I share this with you, I learned the hard way about doing interviews when I first got with the Rolling Stones. He was huge. And then when I got with them, uh, Scott, I, uh, they had um, a publicist. You know, again, I'm young and just going fast and having all this great success with big stars. I don't even know how to handle it. You know, I was so with such a big group that goes on. I mean, I literally, when you're on tour, you get your salary, whatever you negotiate. And if you negotiate like I did, you had a per diem check, and it was either built into a room and board, whatever. A lot of times I would get a per diem check because I knew how to work it. It was better for me to get the cash, and I could spend it like I want, opposed to having it connected to my hotel room where they would pay for it, but then I didn't eat that day because I ate out. So I always collected a per diem. Anyway, the reason why I'm saying this is that with the Rolling Stones, it, they were such a successful group. I literally was mailing my, my check back to my accountant and I was sending my per diem check, which is my expenses, uh, uh, back to my accountant. So it was almost like my uh, salary cost. When you with acts that big, everybody's picking up the tab. You can't spend the money. Hmm. It's just it's just funny. It's like no wonder the reason they you don't buy nothing. Everybody giving you stuff. People coming to the concert. Like I told you, the kid in Japan. I didn't finish the story. That that one guy. When I told him I hadn't seen the album that came to see Ray and um, when we was in Tokyo, the Blue Note. He said, um, uh, well, I, I can get you one. And I said, oh, man, I appreciate it, because he kept trying to give me his. And I went, no, man, this is yours. I just never seen it. I was just, I try to keep anything people find, because I get it all the time. I love it. And I got stuff that I've never even opened. And so 
we were playing again that weekend, so because he was there every night. He was a fan of race. And me too, because uh, he had everything I did. He came back, it was the last night, and he gave me the album, and I just said, Oh, thank you. I didn't even, I didn't really look at it. And then when he left and I got to the hotel, I saw my signature on the back. So what do you think he did? He gave me his album. Wow. After turning it down. And I, I said, man, these people overseas, you, you don't know. There's so many nice people all over the world. So gracious, yeah. Yeah, yeah they're just so gracious. And I, I, I begged him not to take it because I didn't take it that night. I said, listen, I'll pay for it. I don't care. I just want it. If you can find it, and he said, okay, um, I love to have it. It was just when I was signing autographs and so many people, even him, when he gave them, I didn't even look, but because I had signed on the back of um, my uh, electric boogaloo. I didn't remember what happened was because I got it with my signature on it. You still have but it? I kept trying to figure out why is my signature, and then finally stuck to me. I went, "This is what I signed for him." He you still have? You still have it? Yeah, I got it. Yeah. Um, man, Ollie, just, you know, thanks so much. All the great, not only music history, but the life lessons and, and all of it. Thank you so much for sharing all that. Yeah, man. Uh, my pleasure. Hey, back at Truth and Rhythm headquarters. Thank you for joining us on another magical ride with Truth and Rhythm. Whether you're watching or listening, as always, thank you so much for your continued interest and support. Be sure to subscribe. Go to YouTube. Go to the Funkin' Stuff channel. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives and breathes and thrives. Also, goodies here like TIR Quick Takes. And if you subscribe, you know what? You get the show before anyone else. It's free. If you love jazz, funk, R&B, soul, you can't miss it. Pass it along. Tell a friend. Tell family. This audience is growing, and it is a beautiful thing all coming together for the love of this great music. Also, if you can throw us a buck or two, we could use the support financially, keeping the lights on, keeping the servers going, all these expenses. If you can help support the program, whatever you can give, much appreciated. Go to the funkinstuff.net website. And on the right-hand side of every page, you just click and you can donate through PayPal, credit card, whatever. Very easy to do and so much appreciated. And if you do a sizable donation, I will mention you on the program. Also drop me a line, email me at scottg at funkinstuff.net. Let me know who else you'd like to see on the show, what you enjoy about the music. Let's just kibitz and uh, talk about stuff, you know, talk music. You'll find that I respond very quickly and I much enjoy the uh, rapport and the camaraderie and the interaction. Always remember, this is your show the true music lover. So for now, that's all the time we have for this one. It's a wrap. As always, Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one.